Someone uh, appropriately has said uh, that all of life concentrates on man at the crossroads. From from the time uh, that we are old enough to make independent decisions, life becomes this matter of constant decision making. Every day of our lives, we are making choices, making decisions that put us on one path or the other. Uh, decisions about all kinds of things, little decisions and big decisions. Uh, we decide what time we will wake up, what we will eat, where we will go, what we will do. We choose constantly throughout life the path that we will go on. So I think it's kind of fair to say that life truly does consist of man at the crossroads. As we approach the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, just a couple weeks left, Jesus presents us with a, a set of crossroads of sorts. He lays before us decisions, choices for us to make. So our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. In this passage, there's kind of three uh, kind of scenes or scenarios that he lays out for us. Three uh, kind of choices, decisions that he offers us to make. And so as we read and as we reflect on his word, I, I invite us to hear how God might be calling us uh, to respond this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. I say thanks be to God. I think if we're honest, that one's probably a little hard to say thanks be to God to. I mean, that's not, not quite the easiest of things that Jesus uh, is saying. But in saying all that he's saying, he's attempting to offer us life. He's trying to offer us uh, grace. The fact that he's laying this before us uh, is an act of grace for us to receive. In each of these scenes that Jesus lays out for us that conclude the Sermon on the Mount, he's inviting us to reflect on all that he has taught, and then he's inviting us to make a decision. That decision is ultimately, what will you do with me? Uh, Will you enter the gate to life in the kingdom of heaven, take the hard road of following me that leads to life, or will you reject me for the more popular road that leads to destruction? Will you find in me the inner source of transformation that's going to produce good fruit in your life? Or will you follow the voices of this world that may promise a lot, 
but whose fruits are going to lead to destruction? Will you obey the will of the Father as as I've laid it out and truly follow me as Lord, or will you chase after vague spirituality that's going to lead you away from the Father's kingdom? This morning, uh, we'll take a look at each of these scenarios as we stand at the crossroads of life and death. Now, the first scene that Jesus portrays is a choice between a gate that leads to an easy road but is the path of destruction and a gate that leads to a narrow road that may come with difficulties but ultimately will lead us to life. What Jesus puts before us as he's uh, showing us these roads and these gates is the truth that everybody is on a spiritual path going somewhere. Right now, you and me, everybody we know is on a spiritual path headed somewhere. It's either the narrow road or the wide road. But everybody's headed down a spiritual path. And it's important to note here just how different Jesus' words are than some of the things that we oftentimes hear in the world around us in our everyday lives. The wisdom of the world suggests there's many roads that lead to God. There's many paths that will lead to heaven. I actually saw uh, on Facebook recently, just a couple weeks ago, there was a former uh, United Methodist pastor. It was a a pastor who actually uh, went on the same trip to Israel that I went on in 2020. He had uh, graduated from a United Methodist seminary and was recently ordained. Uh, He made a few personal mistakes, so he's not serving uh, anymore at this time. but, But he recently posted... He said, God must be very small if Christianity is the only way we can have a relationship with this so-called God. And it wouldn't have been nearly as stunning to me if there weren't, you know, multiple pastors uh, who liked the post. Contrast that uh, with uh, another pastor who I read sometimes who noted, says, many people say that Christianity doesn't leave room for anyone else's view of salvation. That is correct. It's not because Christians are egotistical or selfish, but it's because God has only given us one way in which we can be saved. This uh, pastor goes on to say, if God said there were 48 ways to be saved, I would preach all 48, but there are not 48 ways to salvation. As we, as we hear these contrasts, that Jesus is laying before us, the choices that he offers to us, I would caution us to be watchful, to be a little leery of those who promise a wide path or a big tent because it stands in stark contrast to what Jesus lays out. Jesus' words sound strikingly different. Jesus doesn't give us multiple roads. He said there's two, the narrow road and the wide road. The narrow road of following him into life through a relationship with God and a wide road of spiritual whateverism, a wide road of you believe what you want and I'll believe what I want, a wide road that leads to destruction. Jesus says for each of these roads, there's a gate. Uh, There's an entry point that leads you on these different roads. The wide gate could probably be about anything that you want it to be. But if you're looking for the narrow gate that's going to lead to the road that leads to life, Jesus says that he is the gate. In John chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, as Jesus is also identifying himself as the good shepherd who cares for his sheep, he says this, I am the gate. 
Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I think it's important as we're considering the narrow road, as we're counting the cost of what it might be to travel down the narrow path, enter through the narrow gate, even though it might be a little bit harder, the one that leads to life. I think it's good for us to hear that in the context of Jesus identifying himself as the good shepherd. Because as Jesus identifies the path of following him as a hard road, as he's letting us know it's not going to be easy, that it will come at some cost, that there might be some things that we need to leave behind on that narrow road that may have seemed a little bit more enjoyable if we took the wide road. As a good shepherd, Jesus promises that we don't have to walk that hard road that leads to life alone. There's going to be trials on the narrow road. There's going to be difficulties and hardships that come our way. The good news is that Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us down that path, who who leads us into places where we can find rest, who will offer us opportunities to be restored within our soul, within our lives when the going gets tough. Jesus offers himself as the good shepherd who we can count on to provide what we need as we travel down the road that he's laid out for us. On this, in, in the second scene, in the second scene that Jesus lays out, he invites us then to consider uh, the fruit of those who teach. And, and I would say there's also an invitation for us to consider the kind of fruit that our lives bear. And so Jesus kind of begins by, by saying, hey, you need to take a look at these prophets who are coming to you and what they're saying. Take a look at the fruit that they're bearing and whether it's going to lead to life or not. As Jesus talks about the prophets, he's recalling the history of the Jewish people who have had countless prophets that have come to them, some of them good, that have led them to life as they followed God's will, some of them bad, as they led them away from God. There were many prophets that led people away from God that said things that sounded good, but things that didn't result in life for the people. Instead, these uh, prophets sowed the seeds that led to the people's destruction, And so Jesus offers us this warning to beware of false prophets because he knows that history repeats itself, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And in fact, it's only a few years after Jesus that the apostle Paul gives a similar warning. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, he says, for the time is coming when people will not put up with sound teaching, but having their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. See, there will always be somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. There's always going to be somebody who will tell you that whatever it is that you want to be okay and good and right is going to be okay and good and right. And there's always going to be somebody who might have some uh, catchy uh, catchphrase or some sort of slogan to to kind of, you know, make you feel all warm and fuzzy. Something that sounds really appealing. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in these slogans that we miss out that they have no basis in Scripture at all. We, We follow a phrase rather than following Jesus. If our catchphrases and slogans don't have anything to do with Jesus, and they're just empty words. 
That's what Jesus says. It's not just listen for whatever sounds good to your ear, but examine the fruit to see uh, how the tree is actually connected and what it's connected to. And sometimes, uh, sometimes as we're trying to examine the fruit of different trees, Jesus says, look at the fruit. Uh, sometimes it might take a little while. Now I know like if you go plant a, a fruit tree, an uh, orange or lemon tree in your backyard, you pick it up at Home Depot or Lowe's or the nursery, it's going to have fruit in a couple years. But in life, uh, in, in our day-to-day lives, as we think about trees and fruits, that we're the tree or the church is the tree, even denominational trees and the fruit that they produce, sometimes we don't know 30, 40, 50, 60 years down the road the kind of fruit that a tree is going to produce. But we do have a way of determining whether or not a tree is going to produce good or bad fruit. Even if you haven't seen the fruit yet, there's a way to see if it's going to produce good fruit or not. And, and the way is to see, uh, is to ask, you know, how much, how much is this tree, how much is this branch focused on Jesus? All right, does the teacher appeal to scripture or to something else for their teaching? Does the teacher offer vague reflections on broad topics or are they centering their teaching on what the Bible says, on what Jesus says? This is important because if you want to bear good fruit, if you want to bear the kind of fruit that's going to lead to life, it begins and it ends with Jesus. And in John fifteen five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. The key to a fruitful life, even while you're on that hard and that narrow road of following Jesus, is to abide in him. The the key to examining a tree to see what kind of fruit it's going to produce is to see is it abiding in Jesus or not. And to abide with Jesus means to spend time with Jesus, uh, to read his word, to study Jesus' teaching, not just hearing somebody else teach about it, but to take time on your own to read what it's saying. I mean, I I would encourage you, you know, go and read. Don't just take my word for something. Go and read it. It's in the Bible there for you to take a look at and read for yourself. Allow God to speak to you through his word. Take time to abide with him. Abiding with Jesus means to spend time in prayer, talking to Jesus, listening to Jesus, uh, placing your life, your cares, and your concerns in his hands because you trust that he is good, and and then listening to the direction that he has for you and for your life. Taking time to listen. I I remember when I was a kid, my parents would say, you know, you know why God gave us two ears and one mouth? So we can listen twice as much as we speak. Uh, and, and truly, God does invite us to come to him, to, to place our concerns before him. Jesus uh, says, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we read, uh, Peter uh, says, cast all your cares, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But there's also scripture that reminds us to be still. Know that I'm God. Scripture that invites us to listen for how he's leading us and guiding us and directing us. Take time to abide with him. You know, last week, we had new members who joined the church, uh, and we have three questions that we ask of people. The second question that we ask when people join the church is, will you endeavor by the power of the Holy Spirit to grow in holiness of heart and life? I, I think this question is kind of essentially asking, are you going to commit yourself to abiding in Jesus? 
Are you going to allow your encounters with Jesus to truly transform your life? Not, not just to show up, but, but to allow Jesus to really enter in to the depths of your heart and of your soul. Will you take time to allow his grace truly to sink down deep within that it begins to trans- transform you from the inside out? You know, one of the great methods of the early Wesleyan movement was for people to join together in small groups they called class meetings. And in these groups, they would hold one another accountable to reading scripture and praying. They would hold one another accountable to abiding in Jesus. That's the way that they loved each other. It's by saying, hey, how, how are you abiding in Christ this week? They would ask of each other, you know, how are you learning Jesus? Uh, how are you leaving the sin that entangles you behind? How are you experiencing the freedom that God gives you in your life? Because they knew that if you want to bear good fruit uh, as a person, as an individual, if you want to bear good fruit uh, as a church, you have to stay connected to the vine. Now the final scene that Jesus teaches on in our passage this morning might be one of the most challenging Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. I don't know how the choir made it sound so peppy and exciting and enthusiastic. I I don't know how they wrote it in that way, because it sounds like one of those that would probably be minor chords and some dissonance to it. Uh, But in a sense, what Jesus is saying here is, saying if you truly believe in me, then you will obey the things that I have taught If you truly believe in me, then you're going to obey, you're going to follow it. It's as though Jesus actually expects us to do the things that he taught us to do. And it's, and it's interesting, this uh, focus on doing the will of the Father, especially as we kind of read it uh, in, in conjunction with the rest of Jesus' conversations, especially Jesus' conversations with the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees in Jesus' time were uh, the religious leaders, the experts in the law, and Jesus oftentimes found himself in opposition with those who were considered experts in the law. Now, now some people read it and they say the Pharisees, you know, Jesus is saying that the Pharisees were too focused on the uh, the laws of God, that maybe the Pharisees were too focused on uh, obedience. But Jesus doesn't criticize the Pharisees for giving too much attention to God's laws. Jesus never denigrates or downplays the law of God. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. See, far from critiquing the Pharisees for focusing too much on God's laws, Jesus critiques them for not being concerned enough with God's written law. They didn't give it too much attention. They gave it too little attention. They created their own laws that they elevated to being on equal footing with God's laws. They thought their experience and reason could somehow provide a way for them to obtain righteousness alongside of God's laws. Instead of allowing God's law to interpret their experience for them. Instead of allowing God's word to speak into their own lives and transform them. They were finding ways that they could transform God's word. Jesus' teaching here isn't about being legalistic. It's not about checking all of the right boxes. It's not about having all of the right beliefs on paper so you can say, see, I believe all the right things. 
It's about truly allowing the good news of Jesus Christ to, to enter deep down within our hearts and within our souls so that we experience his transforming power, so that we know uh, the love and forgiveness that he offers to us and allowing it to penetrate deep down within our hearts so that we desire more and more of Jesus and less and less of the world around us. It's about understanding the great gift of grace that we have been offered and being able to respond to it accordingly. To do the will of the Father means that we've internalized what God has done for us. How through his amazing grace, he came to save a wretch like me. Owning it, knowing it, yeah, I'm a wretch who is in need of his saving grace. To to be able to say with Paul that, hey, I'm the chiefest among all sinners. To be able to say, uh, God have mercy on me. And then to be able to give thanks because of what he's done for us, because of the ways that he's offered mercy to us, because of the ways that he has offered us this great gift of salvation. And to be able to say, because of what you've done for me, I, I, I give myself to you. To do the will of the Father means we've come to the place where we realize that our ways and the ways of the world are not going to lead us to life. So we turn ourselves and fully devote ourselves to following him. At the first church that I served as a pastor, Vance County, North Carolina, uh, there was a gentleman there who loved to sing. And I would often invite him to share you know, a song with us as part of our worship services. And one of his favorite songs, one of the favorite songs that uh, I thought, at least one of my favorites that he sung, uh, is just a song called Give Me Jesus. It's a really simple song. The verses repeat around you know, a common phrase. But the first verse says, In the morning when I rise... In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Second verse says, and when I am alone, when I am alone, and when I am alone, give me Jesus. And the third verse says, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. And and I love these verses, but it's the chorus that really brings it home for me. It just simply says, give me Jesus Give me Jesus. You can have all of this world, but give me Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He is the gate. He is the good shepherd. He is the vine, and he's the one that will lead us down the narrow road of doing the Father's will so that we might have a life that is filled with his hope and his peace here and now. So we might have eternal life in his presence, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks uh, for the great love that you have offered to us, that you've shown to us through the giving of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we do have the great gift of salvation, that in him we have the hope of life eternal with you. We pray, Lord, that we truly might uh, allow that good news of what you've done for us to sink down deep within so we might turn ourselves fully to following you. That each and every day, as we wake up and as we choose the path ahead of us, that we might choose that narrow gate, even though the road might be hard because we know that it will lead to life. We pray that we might be a people who bear good fruit, 
uh, the fruit of your kingdom, because we are staying connected to the vine, because we are abiding in Jesus. So Lord, we pray that when we reach that day, when we come before you, we might hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, because we have trusted you and we have followed you. We have done the will of our Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.